Welcome to Revolve, where we explore big questions from all angles. Each season, we use one big question to dive into a topic with experts, showing how perspective matters in building thoughtful solutions. I'm Trip Williams. Season 2. What can we do to mitigate the effect of climate change for those who will be most affected by it? This season, we talk with experts to explore transforming industries like manufacturing and finance into environmental allies and how we support communities impacted by climate change the most. Today, I'm excited to welcome Matt Kamine, a partner at Kamine Development Corporation and co-founder and president of KDC Sustainable Infrastructure and KDC Ag and former owner of KDC Solar. Kmine Development Corporation works to develop and invest in technologies and individuals who focus on enriching and enhancing the world around us. In the past 30 years, KDC has developed, owned, and operated 3.5 billion of infrastructure in the United States. Today, KDC focuses on using infrastructure to help develop, build, own, and operate sustainable, environmentally progressive technologies. Matt is also a founding member of the Leaderboard, a forum for entrepreneurial leaders building for-profit businesses to share diverse viewpoints and support each other in converting moonshot ideas into mainstream applications that make an impact beyond the bottom line. Matt holds a bachelor's degree in engineering with a minor in economics from Lafayette College, where he and I actually were college teammates on the baseball team. And depending upon who you ask, and we, we're not going to have time, unfortunately, Matt, to get into it here, but I either hit 400 against him or 150, but we're going to leave that to mystery for now. But welcome, Matt. Thanks. Thanks, Tripp. It's, uh, it's great to connect with you and, and uh, you know, uh, looking forward to chatting about uh, everything we're up to and, and talking about climate change. Cool. Yeah, we have a rich conversation ahead of us. And, uh, and as you know, this season, we're digging into the question of how to slow climate change and support high quality life on our planet. And I want to kick off by defining a key term in that question, just to be sure we're all talking about the same thing today. And so climate change carries a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. What does climate change mean to you and the people you work with? Um, I, I mean, I think there's a there's a couple different ways that we view climate change. Obviously, it's the it's the scientific dynamic where, um, you know, you're starting to see the Earth's temperature rise, the impact of you know stronger, more powerful storms, more repetitive storms, sea level rise, um, and so that's that's the scientific approach that we look at. You know, obviously all related around greenhouse gases. We believe that you know the the humans uh, are producing a lot of those greenhouse gases, and and just the trend lines that that we see over the last you know frankly decades. Um, I would say on the business side, we look at how can we better repurpose and reutilize existing resources to impact those greenhouse gas emissions, right? So mm. finding solutions that you know might take those greenhouse gases away is one opportunity completely. The other is if you know something has already been created, how do we further get value out of that before it goes into you know, a landfill or is a wasted product um, and repurpose those nutrients or the, that greenhouse gas that was used to create that, repurpose it 10, 15, 20 times, however many times we can do it. Mm. So those are kind of the two ways that we, we think. And, and, you know, waste is a huge dynamic uh, or just the wasteful economy uh, is a huge dynamic that creates those greenhouse gases that, you know, lead to the science that we talked about. Sure. That's a that's a great place for us to start and also a great jumping off point to uh, a few of our next questions. I, you and your family, Matt, as development or I'm sorry, as K-Mine Development Corporation, have, have really deep experience in large scale infrastructure and manufacturing projects. And especially in recent years, have been focusing more and more on what I'm calling and what you probably refer to or may refer to as climate conscious investments. So I'd love for you to tell the audience a little bit more about your company's history, what inspired your focus on infrastructure and these climate conscious investments. Yeah, so um, you know I think there's been been a, a fairly 
uh, unique evolution of, of why we're we're looking at what we're looking at this point. You know, I'll go back to uh, uh, my father uh, when he first got out of college. He was a professional engineer, mechanical engineer, and uh, my grandfather, his father, had an industrial plumbing business where they would go and install boiler systems throughout a lot of manufacturing facilities like Coca-Cola, Nabisco, uh, up and down the East Coast. Um, when my dad graduated college, he then you know, went to work for my, my grandfather for a while, ex- expanded that business, but realized you know, shortly on that he wanted to own the assets as opposed to be a contractor building the assets. And so uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, there was a couple laws that were passed allowing independent power uh, to be a industry and, and, a, and a blossoming industry uh, in in the United States. And so a lot of the boiler rooms that he was in, he understood how to create power. And so he went off and started his own company where uh, he developed, built, owned and operated grassroots projects focused around cogeneration power plants. Uh, That was in the late 80s into the early 90s. He ultimately built 600 megawatts worth of natural gas power plants. And I think one of the focuses, and and this is kind of a trend as as I look throughout the many businesses I'll I'll touch on in a minute, but every business, or I'm sorry, every project that he developed, he was using and pushing the limits on the science around greenhouse gas usage. So Mm. he was using natural gas, which is a clean power or cleaner power source than coal or or others. He also was looking at parts per million, right? So Mm. the emissions that were coming out of the turbines that he was buying, he was always pushing the vendors that he was buying from. And the next project had to be better than the previous one had to be better than the previous one. And, and so, um, looked at, doing that. He also built projects on and cleaned up Superfund sites. So he built a power plant on a Superfund site. Uh, and he also provided free steam to uh, off off takers. So whether that be chemical plants or greenhouses that actually, you know, produced a lot of tomatoes for, for McDonald's. But the, the focus always was how do I make a better project for, you know, that time uh, and for the next project. And so that he ended up as I mentioned, built um, throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, I won't go into the story, but ultimately there was a buyout of all the independent power providers in in New York. Uh, my father was one of the largest, so he helped negotiate the buyout. Uh, and by the late 90s, he had sold those, those power plants and, and those assets. Um, in 95, he started a, he was reached out and, and started a telecom business um, the reason for that, it was he was spearheaded the deregulation of power and gas. There was going to be a deregulation in utilities uh, and telecom in the mid-90s. And so he ultimately started a company called KMC Telecom, built 40 cities throughout the nation. Alongside of that, built a data platform um, and raised about $2.5 billion to do that, um, where they would bring tier two, tier three cities up to the internet age. Mm. Um, and tier two, tier three is, is a, like a mid-size? It's a size, yeah. So it'd be like a Huntsville, Alabama, Duluth, Georgia, Corpus Christi, Texas. Gotcha. Um, cool. Those types of types of cities and, and ultimately um, sold some of those assets uh, on, the, on the city side, held the data platform. In, this was all in the mid-2000s. Um, but again, you know, trying to use infrastructure to make societal change, you know, not using rotary phones anymore, but providing Internet and, and voice over IP and, and, you know, the digital age to to those cities that aren't, you know, New York or Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, you know, focused on that. Uh, again, he sold half the business, kept the other half the data platform, which actually held one third of the nation's dial up Internet. Uh, at one point, when you had to listen to that sound to to jump onto <laughs> AOL or MSN, likely it was going through a KMC Telecom platform. Um, so he sold the the CELEC portion, the city portion, in 2005. Sold the data platform in 2013. Uh, the reason I'm explaining that a little bit more in detail is the scale and the speed that they built those cities. They actually built them in in two years. 
So they looked at the engineering, they looked at how do I create a better solution and deployed it nationwide in, in a quick way. So that was the, our upbringing, my, both me and my brother who work in the business. We kind of learned you know, through osmosis some of the stuff my father was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, after I graduated Lafayette, um, ultimately went to work for my father. Uh, and we were looking, this was in, I graduated in 07. Uh, we were looking at kind of the next big business that we wanted to get into. Um, and, and looking at energy specifically, um, and, and at that point, uh, we're based out of New Jersey. At that point, solar was a fringe kind of concept, I would say, it was focused in California, but um, not as big or as popular or as well known as, as it is now, which is great. Um, but we understood power, right? So my father's team that built the power plants, that built the telecom business, have been with our family for 30 plus years. Uh, and New Jersey was starting to go through uh, a little bit of a reorganization around their, their solar concept. Uh, we were integral in changing some of the laws that allowed, again, independent power, so an independent company to come in, build assets, own those assets, and deliver power to, we focused on commercial and industrial um, clients. So large-scale projects, not residential, not small commercial, but where we felt like we could make an impact by delivering 25-year power contracts at a fixed rate to large industrial users that, um, whether that's keep the jobs there, lower their electric costs, but also obviously, you know, trending towards creating a a more green environment. Mm. Uh, And so, but we formed KDC Solar in 2009, ultimately sold it in 2019, uh, built around and built and owned about 125 megawatts worth of worth of projects in, in New Jersey, um, ranging from three, four, five megs up to 22 and a half megs where uh, it's behind the meter at Six Flags Great Adventure and one of the largest meter projects in, in uh, the country. And it feeds uh, almost all of their power annually. Um, so looking at large scale opportunities, again, we can make a dent. Um, kind of alongside of that, and eventually when my brother graduated college in 2011, we started to look at other industries within within sustainability, and I use that term kind of more macro, um, that we could utilize our development entrepreneur, you know, build on and operate mindset of infrastructure to drive societal change quicker. Um, It's tough at times to convince a consumer to pay more for something Mm -hmm. um, or to change their behavioral uh, dynamics. And so infrastructure is a way that we believe we can kind of drive those changes without impacting anyone's day-to-day life, right? So if Mm -hmm. I create a solar project that connects behind the meter to an office building that you know you're working in, you don't know that that kilowatt hour is coming from green energy or a fossil fuel usage. You just know when you put the lights on that you know the lights turn on, right? Or when you hit the light switch. So it's it's a little bit of that kind of dynamic that we focused on. And so we started making some small family investments into different technologies. Vertical indoor farming uh, is one of them. Sustainable Straws is another company that we're involved with. Um, you know, again, looking at macro issues, and one of the biggest ones as we started diving into this was uh, the issue of food waste. Um, mm. And so that's really lended us into kind of jumpstarting us into looking at both food waste, and then that's also now leveraged us into looking at waste products in general that otherwise would go to landfills. So cardboard um, is another opportunity we're we're exploring or diving into and then uh, looking at, at uh, an opportunity or we've partnered with a company where we're focused around carbon negative concrete. Uh, and again, looking at you know scalability, impact, not just domestic, but international, and really trying to change the overall dynamic of, of society without asking society to change either the way they purchase something, their behavioral impacts, you know, the 
the dynamic of how they live their life. Uh, we want to fit as seamlessly as possible into that existing delivery mechanism, but do it with a much cleaner uh, and, and more sustainably conscious uh, product. Yeah, and you you are opening a number of doors that I want to walk through all of them at the same time. Uh, but before I, I go to our next question, which is directly related to what we were just speaking of, I'd, I'd love to know, so you and your brother Justin, as you were telling us, have entered into the the company that your father, Hal, was already really steering towards some of these um, socially conscious considerations, right, that you mentioned. Totally. And I'm, I'm curious if you could share with us you know, there, what you and, and Justin, representing a new generation, how, how it is that you've worked with your family and, and the rest of the company to, to look at some of these new fields. Is it something that... Um, you know, your perspective as, as coming up in, in the last few decades has brought some, has it refreshed KDC's view on things or, or do you really see it as an extension of what was already in KDC's DNA? I, I think it's, it's more the latter. I think it's an extension of where, um, where we were trending to begin with and looking and utilizing those skill sets to further enhance, right? So, um, you know, my father, um, you know, really provided an unbelievable platform for Justin and I. And so the two of us look at, um, you know, it's a it's a great opportunity that our father and he's still active every single day. So, um, you know, he's still really driving, driving the bus. But, um, you know, we've we've jumped onto it and and, you know, he's provided not only guidance, but a training ground for not only ourselves, but, you know, the, the colleagues of ours that are, you know, our generation uh, learning not only from how, but, you know, other executives that have been with, with the family for, you know, since the very beginning. I mean, one, our, our SVP of construction uh, was my father's first hire in 1979 or 1980, whatever it was, right? So, you know, these are people that frankly knew my father and were working with my father before I was even born. And a lot of their <laughs> sons and, and, you know, family members have worked over the years with, with us, you know, whether they've come for a couple years or interned or have been now, you know, with us for, for decades. So sure. um, it, it's, you know, my father surrounded himself with very uh, smart people um, up and down the spectrum and um, have allowed, you know, Justin and I to not only see that, but now, you know, be trained by those individuals. And now as we go into kind of the next evolution where, you know, the three of us are, you know, partners in this next business with the idea that, you know, eventually our, you know, our father will step away on a day-to-day basis. And, and Justin and I want to continue this, you know, platform and this legacy for, you know, for our kids and, and our grandchildren, frankly, to, to sure. come to, to and, and really make, you know, what we hope is a significant change to, you know, the environment and, and you know, for the positive, obviously, and, and make sure that, you know, we're leaving, you know, a, a lasting impact on, you know, the, the next generation and the generations that come thereafter, you know, by hopefully, you know, changing the, the paradigm of greenhouse gas emissions going up and, you know, the world seeing a lot of different issues, whether that's droughts in areas that never had droughts before or, you know, massive rainstorms in, in other places. And so it's it's this interesting opportunity. Um, you know, we're, we're thankful for that opportunity uh, and we don't take it lightly. You know, it's something that Justin and I really look at and say we have to make, you know, these changes and we have to make this impact um, not only for ourselves, but for for, you know, those that come after us. Yeah, and, and I, I will say, just as a quick preview, you're doing some exciting things, and I think taking that, that opportunity uh, into good places. So um, I'm looking forward to having the audience hear a little bit more about that momentarily. I, I would love, Matt, again, what I find so intriguing about the work you and your team are doing, there's a consensus generally that to do good um, in the business world, you, there's an assumption that that means you're going to have to accept 
a lower rate of return, right? That there's totally. going to have to be yep. some trade-off. Um, and the, the interest in doing good for society or for the environment means that you're not going to be able to be as profitable. And I'm, I'm not so sure that's true based on experiences uh, that I'm seeing in the world, including from you. So I'd love for you to share with us how you and KDC think about that. Is that trade-off a reality? If so, how have you managed it? Or, or what are you finding in your experience when it comes to a concessionary return? True or false? <laughs> um, I would say false. Uh, and I would I would say that with all capital letters. I, I think that's a fallacy. Uh, and, and there's a couple, I think, reasons why um, that why I believe it is. Uh, one, I've seen it. You know, uh, you know, we are for profit businesses um, and always have been. And, and that, that's just kind of, you know, how we we create our businesses. But um, within that, you know, I, I think. The challenge as it relates to sustainable technologies is a lot of the times, or frankly, almost all of the time, uh, those solutions are in uh, their infancy, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, you can't as a institutional lender or as a, you know, uh, stock market, you know, public company or, or other things, it's very difficult on a quarterly basis or, or a project by project basis to fully understand the technology, right? And so you have to, A, understand the underlying technology. You have to understand the market clearly too, but you really have to say, how do I, how do I build this correctly to then make sure the economics work and do it in such a way that yes, you are taking on a different risk profile. You know, by no means is everything that we've been involved with uh, over the years worked, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've mm -hmm. we've gotten plenty of zeros, um, sure. you know, and and that's you know that's just part of you know whether it's an investment or whether it's a company that we you know wanted to to think that we were going to do something with that ultimately didn't pan out, right? And so you know that's. That's an inherent risk, but I think if you really understand the underlying technology and how that integrates into society and how you can create solutions that um, drive those changes without, you know, whether it's without increasing pricing, um, you know, and fit into existing markets, you can actually create, you know, very high value returns because you're very early in the stages right and and mm. one example i use is when we got into solar you know solar wasn't what it is today right solar is not you know today you can you know almost any at least in in certain states i guess now maybe not everywhere depending upon where listeners are but you know based in new jersey let's say for instance you know i wanted to have solar be you know by my way of getting energy well i can call up almost any third-party provider and either, you know, have somebody install them on my roof, right, or at my house or business, or I can actually just go buy green kilowatt hours online mm. and they're delivered because there's enough solar market that's that's been created. Early on, you know, in 2009, that was not the case. You know, we had to help create the market itself. Sure. And that's really where returns you know, in my opinion, get made. You know, today's returns on solar or wind or other commoditized markets, you know, are somewhere between, I don't know, four to eight percent, right? Maybe you can get higher than that. But um, it, it, as I said earlier, it's a fairly commoditized market at, at this stage, mm -hmm. you know, whereas if you're in earlier, there's inherent risk. And a lot of the times, or almost all the time, with a higher risk, you're, there's a higher reward. Mm -hmm. And it's really understanding the underlying technology to be able to develop that opportunity and and obtain those higher returns. Sure. Um, you know, and so as the general individual that's out there, you know, nowadays you can get those impacts on solar and wind, right? You can go and get those returns. And, and make it part of your underlying portfolio if you're, you know, investing online or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, privately. But um, we kind of looked at it like we needed to help bridge the gap between 
a technology that at the time, you know, was very new to where it is now, which is commoditized. And so, you know, as we look and explore additional opportunities outside of now, you know, we've, we've sold the solar assets and, and are focused on, on some of these other opportunities, you know, it's, it's finding those opportunities that frankly, I would argue, and if we're successful, will dwarf the returns that we have seen in, in other businesses. Mm. Because the underlying economics are, you know, I don't know if ripe's the right word, but they're, they're existing to be disrupted. Mm. And I think consumers are craving for that disruption. You know, it comes with a very, you know, inherent risk too, but I would argue that our team really knows how to take a new technology and ultimately build something that, you know, is in the ground and operates correctly. I mean, that's kind of what our, that is what our DNA has been for sure. 35 years. So, you know, yeah. I, I think it's a misnomer. I think, you know, it, it's, it depends how you view and where you're viewing you know, where can I get returns? You know, we're not a public company, right? So we look at returns as a, in a different way than, you know, if I was an institutional, you know, uh, or played the stock market, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, customers there that are willing to say I could take, you know, a zero or I would take a 20% return over the same time frame, right? They're, they're kind of designed to say, I'd like a five to, six percent or two to four percent return every year and you know the risk profile is very different so you know it really depends on how you view and what market you're kind of taking on or viewing as far as you know how do you how do you ultimately gauge return you know and and there's a secondary impact of return especially in the sustainability world um, that currently is not really calculated and, and mm. I think it's it's related to the impact return. Right. Sure. So it's, you know, am I reducing greenhouse gases? If so, by how much, you know, am I changing society to be better? You know, I would argue being more sustainable is better. Maybe others might view it differently, but that's how I use the word better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think that's, you know, going to be something in the future that is, and I think it's slowly starting to happen now as you see, you know, consumers and, and, you know, people demand transparency within uh, companies that they're either directly involved with as employees, whether it's, you know, ESG goals or as investors uh, in, in the public, you know, sector, mm -hmm. you know, demand to know supply chain visibility, where are products coming from, how are they being created, what is the impact or the greenhouse gas you know, usage to create that product. And, you know, I think you're starting to see that trend, you know, that trend line become that consumers ultimately at the end of the day drive this change and continue to drive it. So, sure. you know, that's not really a current, um, you know, priced in return, but I mm -hmm. think eventually, and I think slowly it is becoming part of the you know, inherent return of it. And frankly, I think you, you know, my argument is if, if you really understand the sustainability projects that are out there, and, you know, get in early, then, you know, you're making better returns than, than anyone else's. Sure. Yeah. And actually another guest on this season, um, Simone Shaheen will be talking about measurement and spe specifically an ESG measurement. And as you were just speaking about Matt, it's, it's, especially helpful for those companies that are more visible uh, or who need to sort of rationalize their investment strategies, right? And having a little bit more um, or more tools available for those companies to, to explain why they're making bigger bets in some more sustainable areas. It's a, it's a positive move for the environment, at least overall. Yeah, no, totally. And I, and I think, you know, as, as consumers and whatever, way you define consumers as they pull back the onion you know are you just giving me you know top of the wave you know right. soundbite or are you really making that change 
right. that drives, you know, and, and I think, you know, whether it's some sort of scoring mechanism and I know there's, there's groups out there that, that really dive into this stuff and that's great. And I think it's needed. And, and the more, the more, the better. I mean, Justin and I joke, not joke, but I, I, we're semi-serious when we say we want to be violently transparent, right? Because mm. we, we are going up against kind of in, in many different ways, um, you know, behemoths that have, you know, in some capacity created monopolies in these different industries, right? Mm. And so you're going up against the grain and, you know, how do you differentiate yourself? And, you know, if, if, if I'm creating product X or, you know, delivering product Y, you know, I can show the impact, you know, right. and still create the exact same price point at the end of the day. You know, why, why would a consumer choose, you know, not, you know, something that's, you know, priced the exact same amount. It's the same product, but one is, you know, sustainable and one is not. Sure. Right? One saves carbon, one doesn't. Yeah. Um, you know, and those are the goals that we we have as as companies in any of the industries that we're we're doing is we don't you know, I don't believe in, you know, I don't think we drive the change we all want, need in the world. You know, I think desires and, and needs if, you know, we're asking people to pay, you know, one X, two X more for a product. Right. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the goal being get solutions to everyone mm-hmm. you know don't have don't get a solution that only goes to you know the one percenters or you know the the east coast and the west coast no right. it's like if a solution's really going to drive the environmental change that we we feel as a company we need it better be for everyone whether you're in you know asia europe north america it's irrelevant, mm. you know, or Africa, right? I mean, it's got to be solutions that impact everywhere and create products that are that are cost effective everywhere, no matter, you know, no matter what. Otherwise, you know, your impact's going to be very low. You know, you might get you might get some people to buy it in the Northeast or the West, but you know, or or other places that are you know conscious and and want to buy those products solely because they are carbon saving, but you're not going to get the adoption that really drives a significant impact on, yeah. on the greenhouse gas emissions. And it is interesting that, that so often that that trade-off, that onus is put on the customer, right, to um, totally. to make that choice and, and oftentimes pay a premium to make that choice. Well, and look, you know, it, is it coming out of your pocket? Like, make, make the choice between your pocketbook and the world and the mm-hmm. environment, right? That's unfair. No, mm-hmm. we exactly. should create solutions that deal with the environment and are cost effective in your pocketbook. Sure. And that is what we drive to. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, and this is something I was excited to, to chat with you about because there is, if, if suppliers and manufacturers are looking only at purchase history, right. And how consumers are purchasing from the product suite currently available, then there isn't going to be a lot of leading indicators that consumers want more simply because there just aren't options available. Right. And so I again I applaud you and other other groups that have that uh, the the courage in a lot of ways to enter in and and take out that premium for the consumer and actually offer a choice that um, that doesn't doesn't put the full weight of decision on them. It gives them the optionality and actually then provides some stream of data for people to see that maybe there is some room in the market for people to choose a climate conscious option. Yeah. And look, I mean, it's, it's unfortunately, I think the issue, you know, with climate change and, and, you know, this is my belief is it's slow moving Mm -hmm. and it's slow changing. And so, you know, you can't pinpoint the, the inflection point, right. You can't sit there and say, Oh, now is the problem. Right. It's this. Can't ever, see it. It's, it's right. You see. can't visually yeah. see it. Yes, you could see, OK, there was a, a stronger hurricane than the year before. But can you strip out every variable and say that's due to exactly right. a greenhouse gas emission? No. So you have to look at trend lines. Right. You have to evaluate the science. And I think, you know, that also leads, you know, it, it leads to 
the concept of infrastructure and, and frankly, like as I compare it to other other industries, right? It's not a sexy change, right? It's not an app that comes out that solves, you know, the issue tomorrow. If right? it were it's, so, Matt, right? If it were so, if you could have an app that did, but unfortunately, like you're saying, we don't. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And 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 so, you know, you kind of have to pair those two things together and, and you're going, you know, it, it it again, it's it's the consumer, it's the grassroots efforts, it's it's the demand from others, but you're asking very large established companies to decide on their own right. to make a change. And it's right. it's you know, status quo is easier than change. Sure. And I think, you know, that those issues combined with the slow moving dynamic of, you know, look year after year after year and look at the trend line and say, well, you know, going back 20, 30 years, we were, you know, half of what we are now from a greenhouse gas emission. Like, you know, how do we, how do we tip that and how do we show the world? Right. And so that, that kind of comes back to how do we develop our projects? We develop and look for opportunities that, you know, might not ask a consumer to change their habits, right? Mm, Keep doing it but we're going to provide you something that's equal and better for the environment. Sure. Well, let's actually dive into a little bit of what you're working on now, because I think there's some current exciting projects in your portfolio that I'd love to um, to have the audience hear a little bit more about, especially, so let's start with infrastructure and manufacturing are, are again, two areas where you and, and KDC have operated with success over the last several decades. What are you seeing when it comes to trends in the market, right? Infrastructure has for a long time been seen as a problem. There's been movement towards more renewable energy sources. Manufacturers have consistently been a large source of emissions. There's mm-hmm. now more awareness of, of what exactly that entails and, and the impact of those emissions. What are you seeing in terms of trends across those two sectors? And what about some of the projects that you and KDC are working on and that are excited about? Yeah, so you know, I think from a trend perspective, it 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 does mirror, you know, I think the the you know the consumers need and want and desire for you know more climate change solutions. You know, I I think there's there's value in that. I think you know when you think of large infrastructure projects, manufacturing facilities, industrial facilities, you know, there there's a cost that has already been put into the ground. Right. And so changing over those types of um, existing assets or, you know, a lot of the times very difficult, whether that's constrained geographically, engineering constraints, you know, uh, you know, can you shut down a power plant to retrofit it? You know, I mean, what happens to, to the energy sector if you do that? So there's some inherent issues with trying to make those two industries of the existing assets, trying to make them better or more efficient. There's definitely, you know, doable in that. But I think we look at it like, okay, if we're building something new or going after new solutions within those sectors, um, you know, we want to make sure that they're, you know, um, you know, impacting, you know, in the right way. And so, you know, a couple of the sectors that we're involved with, um, you know, we're involved with, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, we deal with, with food waste, right? So, you know, 40% of the food that we grow is thrown out. Um, we just look at that as a massive inefficiency. Um, you know, and it's, it's stark when you hear, you know, food banks don't have food, right. Or, you know, there's poverty across, you know, the U S or even the world, you know, but we really at this point are focusing on the U S just, just on this opportunity currently. So, you know, 40% of the food we grow in the U.S. is thrown out. And it's like, that's across from farm to, you know, household, right? So stuff mm-hmm. coming out of your refrigerator that, you know, for one reason or the other, you're discarding. Um, there's certain solutions across those different, you know, dynamics that are trying to make impact. And frankly, for that volume, you know, we need a thousand solutions. There's not mm-hmm. one silver bullet. And I think that kind of comes back to the climate change in general, right? It's like, there's not a single bullet. We better deal with water. We better deal with, you know, energy. We better deal with ag. We better deal with, you know, building materials all across the board in every sector needs to be finding solutions that drive to a 
macro climate change solution. Mm-hmm. You know, so even if like our solution to the ag business, you know, maybe it impacts 20%, right, of of the 40, right? So if there's 60 million tons of food waste, maybe we can go out and, and build assets that handle, you know, six, eight million tons a year. Um, that's probably, I don't know, somewhere in the tune of five billion dollars worth of assets Mm. put into the ground maybe even a little bit more um you know and that's you know making a dent but it is by no stretch making the whole solution and even that you know that's a that's a really you know that's building 50 of our facilities across the u.s Mm um you know that's that's not something that pops up tomorrow again it's not an app right this is go out find the right site engineer it permit it construct it and then operate it mm-hmm. um, and so we're focused on solutions under the ag world to try to change that paradigm reuse a lot of that product um, you know before it goes to a landfill and repurpose those nutrients into higher and better use products um, you know really focused on kind of the pre-consumer world um, just because you know as we've evaluated it there's solutions for, you know, households and things like that. It's also, you know, on the scale of infrastructure projects that we build collecting from, you know, communities is, is logistically a lot more challenging than collecting from something that might be, you know, at the supermarket level or the retail level Mm -hmm. um, that those, you know, you know, those areas or communities might have only two pickups, right. And instead of 10,000. So, um, it, it's just looking at the business model and, and focusing on that and, and delivering at the end of the day products that um, can create higher and better use animal or pet feeds and, and you know, repurpose those nutrients. And, and I think it's key that we try to also, you know, deliver on the societal benefits, too. So from a standpoint of if we can help local food banks get access to some of this food prior to it coming to our facility, we want to, we, we do encourage that. We do provide mechanisms to do that because the highest and best use of any food is to feed a human. The next highest and best use is to repurpose those nutrients, not let them decay and, you know, repurpose the, the time, the energy, the water, and all the resources that went into delivering, um, you know, that food to whether it's a supermarket or retail or a restaurant or whatever, um, and make sure that then ultimately it gets put back into into society to to ultimately feed you know another human and, and you know never allow that material to become a quote waste right mm-hmm. is always continue that circle um, and so you know but as we look at it like local food banks you know can't handle 160 tons of food a day sure. right and that's the material that we pick up and bring back to to our facility so you know it, it it's the size and scale that that we try to mirror with existing resources and then you know create products that can fit into existing product lines or change over those product lines to become you know more more carbon conscious um so that's the ag business mm-hmm. we kind of have three stools of a leg we're focused also on um, we've partnered with, with a company that's focused around cardboard, um, and repurposing, you know, all of the cardboard boxes that we, you know, now that we're, have been, uh, at least in, in my household, you know, uh, quarantined or, you know, socially distanced in the house, you know, there's a lot more deliveries, um, of, of cardboard boxes. And, and so, you know, the recycling capability of that is, is good. I wouldn't say it's great. Um, there's also been some some significant changes in the world uh, as it relates to importation of raw cardboard boxes. So China and other places that used to import North America's um, raw, you know, boxes of of you know, and then convert them in China to finished material to then re you know recreate a, another cardboard box. They banned those raw materials. And so they only want the finished um, pulp product to then go into the cardboard 
boxing capability and so or manufacturing. So, you know, it's looking at opportunities like that where you're not creating a new technology, but there's opportunities to repurpose, you know, because of either law changes and or uh, societal changes. And so, you know, between the e-commerce side plus some of these laws, there's opportunities that we've looked at where we're going to be, you know, hopefully, you know, over the next couple of years, making making significant um, projects happen that that would otherwise, you know, take those those raw boxes and, and convert them to the finished product that then goes to either you know North America or you know other other parts around the world to to actually be their their raw input to make a uh, mm-hmm. make more boxes out of it. So that's that's one opportunity. Again, it's a little bit you know, where in the ag business, we're creating something new, the cardboard, it's kind of looking at opportunities that exist, but should be expanded upon. Um, and then the third kind of current leg is looking at um, the concrete world and the building material world, right? I mean, as infrastructure developers, we, we use building materials. And so we know, you know, inherently, we understand what those impacts can be you know, on, on climate, right? So like thinking of, you know, creating concrete um, as a significant source of greenhouse gases, whether it's pulling the rock out of the ground originally, whether it's making, uh, you know, in the kiln, you know, creating the, the porcelain cement and releasing gases there, or even just pouring and transporting and pouring the actual finished material to build, you know, the parking garage, the, you know, apartment building, whatever, the road, the bridge, whatever it is. And, you know, it's a significant industry that, you know, I think is even, you know, very recently been in the news related to, you know, their CO2 footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, you were so, sharing with me, Matt, that there's yeah. an alarming statistic when it comes to the amount of mining um, that's related ultimately for concrete inputs. Is that right? Yeah, I don't know it exactly, you know, so don't don't be quoting me if I've, sure, I've sure. said this totally incorrect, but it's something like people, I think, you know, and frankly, I'm one of them. I, I always envisioned, you know, coal mining or, or other uh, energy mining as, you know, the, the core reason behind greenhouse gases as you think of mining rock around right. the world. Right. And in fact, that's somewhere like 10% or maybe it's 20% of the total rock mining done in the world. Mm. And so the balance of it is, you know, obviously, you know, the finer, you know, materials like gold and silver and those types. But the inherent large aspect of that balance is for building materials and mostly mostly concrete. Mm. Um you know, pulling limestone or pulling rock out of the ground for ultimately delivering concrete. And so, you know, I, I frankly wasn't exposed to that until, um, you know, we, we partnered with a company um, that actually, you know, has been focused on that. And, you know, it's it's been great because I think a lot of, as I touched earlier, you know, a lot of these technologies are new, right? Sustainable Sustainability or sustainable technologies or sustainable solutions almost by definition are new, right? If they were existing, they, you know, otherwise, you know, would already be into the market. And so um, it's been fun to kind of talk to a lot of these different, you know, people that are creating unbelievable solutions or, you know, aiming to create great solutions. And, you know, we just come with a little bit of that different mindset of, okay, you know, we're not maybe the scientists, but we, we are, most of us, if not all of us are engineers or we've been exposed to this whole cycle of build on and operate for a long time. And so we look at those solutions and we say, okay, but how do we take that out of a lab or how do we take that out of, you know, a small scale opportunity and make sure that we're designing something or building something or putting something behind us where, you know, we can scale this across the U.S. or across the world and, and finding those right partnerships of, you know, scientists and developers or even if, you know, they don't have to be the scientists, but, you know, finding those people that that seem to maybe be missing that piece. You know, how do you actually put that into the ground and operate it um, has been kind of the reason that we've started to see 
some of these other partnerships come about and be exposed, frankly, to, you know, industries that, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I couldn't rattle off that statistic to you yeah. on, on yeah. concrete, but it's now something we're super engaged with. We're, you know, we're working every single day to, to make solutions happen in, in that world where we can actually create at the end of the day, carbon negative concrete by mm. permanently sequestering uh, CO2. And, and, you know, it's, it's just fascinating that that impact um, of that potential solution could go, you know, around the world because, you know, rock is mined everywhere, concrete is used everywhere. And so you think of like the impact of getting to that solution, you know, and making sure that it fits into, you know, existing infrastructures and quarries and ready mix plants, but also, you know, has the right you know, strength capability to be used in every application that traditional concrete is used in, right? I mean, mm -hmm. creating a solution that can only be, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, backyard pavers, you know, to me, you know, and little decorative pavers is not it's something, right? It's, it's, limited, it's yeah. right. And it's, it's not, not that that isn't great. Yes, but it is very severely limited and so it's sure. making sure as we look and explore and support these opportunities that they're ultimately getting you know what we hope is to the right goal which is this can be used everywhere and should be and will be and let's go build it everywhere yeah and, and i'll put up some notes it is the, the technologies are fascinating and um i'll put up some notes whatever you think would be helpful for the audience, Matt, for people to read more about it. Um, totally. Before, I want to end on a, on a positive note. So this has been a, a really rich conversation, and I can't thank you enough again for bringing your perspective and your experience um, on the topic and, and helping us see how you're viewing this, this uh, the challenge of, of slowing climate change overall. What, what is it, Matt, in the course of your work, Amidst all that we're dealing with and the, and the size of the challenge in particular, what is it that makes you optimistic about our effort to slow climate change? Yeah, I think I think um, I would say first and foremost, it's the awareness. Right. I mean, it's it's you see people demanding, as I mentioned earlier, transparency of supply change or demanding products that are more sustainably conscious. Um, so I think awareness is what's made me, um, you know, having a positive outlook. Um, you know, I think, I think it's just, it, it's, it's one of those things that as people get more accustomed to seeing and hearing and understanding the options that they have out there, um, the more than they become, uh, exposed to those things and then demand those things. And that then drives, you know, whether it's existing companies or whether it's new solutions, you know, in order to, you know, create those, those outcomes. And so, you know, I think that would be the most impactful thing as I look at it. And, and you just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we're trying to do something. There's, many other people that are out there trying to create these solutions. And I think it's finding, you know, that those support aspect, right? So it's, it's having those, you know, collective conversations like this or like others that are exposing this to, to the broader population so that as the next time they, you know, let's be honest, the next time they go to, you know, see a road bit get built or a bridge get built um, or a building, you know, maybe they're sitting there thinking, well, wait a sec, you know, do I have any impact to demand mm. carbon negative concrete into that? And mm. if I do, maybe I can spec it into that, you know, application. And if it's cost, you know, the same cost, maybe there's an opportunity there. Or if I'm going to the retail, you know, shelf in a, in a supermarket or online and I sit there and I say, well, wait a sec, can I actually, you know, buy a carbon, you know, saving uh, you know, product, um, you know, or carbon reduced product, you know, versus, you know, something that isn't. And again, if, if there's a solution that's the same price, you know, I actually can start to 
make an impact that drives, you know, from the pocketbook side. That's ultimately what drives, you know, big companies or even small companies or any solution. You know, it's it's with the power of a pocketbook. And I think, you know, as more and more people become aware that there are solutions that are coming to the table or are already at the table that don't cost more. And in fact, sometimes they cost significantly less. Um, they just need time to be developed um, or, you know, built at the end of the day, right? I mean, the timeline of building a manufacturing facility is not, again, overnight. It takes, you know, a year or two or sometimes even more to, to ultimately go through it. And so, you know, it's creating that grassroots demand. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the pocketbook. But I think that starts with, you know, are you, do you even know that these things are out there? Sure. Are there any resources that you've, that really helped open your eyes or that you felt were particularly impactful that you might recommend? Um, I probably should have them off the top of my head. I'm trying okay. to that was a, yeah. apologies. Uh, this is a spotlight being shined brightly on me. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. I, I, will, mean, I will put something I, in the notes. Don't yeah, and, and I think, look, I mean, there's a lot of really, you know, great organizations that are focused and it really depends on what sector, right? I mean, you know, you have the NRDC, you have, uh, you know, a lot of food industry, you know, impact um, organizations, you have, you know, building materials uh, as, as organizations focused around, you know, again, creating that awareness in this conversation. And I think, you know, I mean, it, it's an easy cop out, but, you know, if you Google something within, you know, your sector <laughs> that you want to look at, you know, there's sure. probably a thousand things. And, and frankly, look, there's not one one perfect, hey, go read this book or go read this, sure. you know, this blog, you know, uh, blurb or, you know, blog or whatever. And, and so it's it's making, you know, it, it's to some degree doing your research. But even if you're not, I, I don't I don't want people to take that you have to be, you know, as ingrained as maybe I am or my brother or you are trip like figuring out like, okay, well, what is the solution I should be? No, just have the awareness, have the conversation, think about where you're purchasing things, think about where you're building something, think about, you know, what are you doing, you know, in, in everyday, you know, moments, right? If I'm flipping on a light switch, what energy am I purchasing, right? If I'm going to a store, what product am I buying? You know, if I'm driving a car or I'm, you know, involved in some sort of construction is there a better more conscious way to think about delivering that mm -hmm. and and i think it's really you know viewing it in that light all of a sudden you'll start to then see and hear and understand the solutions that i might be ingrained knowing because i'm this is my job right uh, you know i'm not asking others to you know put themselves in my shoe to say okay let me go dive into you know, these different solutions and come up with, with the outcome that I want. It's more, you know, these are the things that we're working on. There's a thousand other companies working on other aspects and other sectors, you know, whether they compete against us or the complementary to me, there's, there's a lot of solutions that need to come to bear to change that trend line that we all, you know, I think see and hear about, and maybe we don't always visually see it, you know, in our day-to-day -day life, but maybe you can start to think about those small incremental changes as you do something in your life uh, that creates that light bulb to say, well, wait a sec, maybe there's an alternative here. That's 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 a, a great way to, to put it. There's a book called Inconspicuous Consumption that mm -hmm. what you're speaking of is exactly what the book covers. So I'll put a link up to that one. Um, yeah. Matt, yeah. this has been a, a, a wonderful rich deep conversation I, I can't thank you enough again for joining and um and looking forward to watching what you and kdc continue to do well i you know i really appreciate the uh, the opportunity to speak with you trip and and uh you know i i i'm really happy that you know you and others are are really focusing on this i mean i think it's it's very much needed and i'm i'm excited to listen to all the other guests that you have on the podcast because i'll probably learn you know, a thousand things that I didn't know of, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully somebody can take something away from this conversation that, that they might not have known about.
I, th I hope so. I hope so. Thank you, right. Matt. Thank you, Trip. Thanks for listening. Check the show notes for links and information mentioned in the episode. And explore the other episodes in this season to learn more on this topic. Before we go, subscribe to our show to get new episodes as soon as they come online. And please rate us on whatever podcast app you use. That helps other people discover the show as well. We'd be excited to hear from you. Send us a mail at revolvepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>